0: This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Funding for Egedet Tachuva, the Epistle on Repentance, is provided by Isaac, son of Devorah Mindel.
1: Lessons
0: in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg
2: So the hey, therefore the hey represents speech. So you see in the Hebrew language how the letters, the shape of the letter actually contains the meaning of what the letter <coughs> represents. The name Yudke Vavke actually contains and represents Hashem's name. That's why the letters Yudke Vavkei are holy. When you write Hashem's name, it's holy. You're not allowed to erase it. You're not allowed to, you have to treat it with holiness and respect. You're not allowed to enter certain places. Because the letters itself, it's not just symbolic. It's not just a symbol. The letters itself, the Hebrew language is Lashon Hakodesh, the holy language. This is the language with which God creates the world. The letters, the shape of the letters actually contain the meaning of what what the letters represent. As you see in the shape of the yud and the shape of the hay, and the vav and the shape of the vav, and the numerical value of the vav, and the hay, the numerical value of the hay, five, and the shape of the hay, and the ha, the breath. This all expresses communication. The yud represents chachm supernal wisdom the, he rep- the first He represents Bina understanding the Vav represents the emotions and the He represents and here you have a, in total you have the 10th Sefirot the 10 divine emanations that God emanates from within himself now we're up to page 1046
3: now he has no corporeal form heaven forbid how then can one differentiate above between those letters that possess possessed substance and those that are, do not. Nevertheless, the Torah speaks says in the language of men. Since on the mo- mortal plane this, this differentiation exists, it is also applied to the divine plane for spirituality too.
2: So of course there's no <clears throat> physical form. Hashem doesn't speak. It's not like our speech we say Hashem speaks, not like Hashem has a mouth and He has a, a tongue and He has, there's a, there's a sound. Um, but nevertheless, the Torah speaks in the language of man. Everything in the physical world is a symptom, is a parable. It's a parallel reality to a spiritual world. It's a reflection of the spiritual world. Reality. You look at uh, a—it's like taking a three-dimensional reality and projecting it on a a two-dimensional surface. Okay, what you get is a a cartoon. Take a person, three-dimensional, and project the person on a flat surface. Okay, you get as a cartoon, but it's a reflection. It's a reflection of this reality. So, everything in this world is really a reflection of a divine reality. Because the content, the definition, the shape of everything that exists originates in the divine. Why do we have four categories as we learned in the first part of the Tanya? Why do we have four different categories of existence organized all of existence in the four different categories the inorganic the organic life the animal life, plant life and human life because in the origin with which Hashem creates the world Yud Kei Vavke, you have four letters So you have four different categories four different expressions of life of a life force the stone, the only life force is expressed in the fact that it exists Organic life, the life force is expressed in the fact that it grows. There is no pain. It's not like the soul. It's not like a living thing. But it's a living in the fact that it grows. In an animal, there's a much stronger life force. You see this pain. There's a soul. theres And then the highest life force, which is human. So that's a reflection of the divine. Ultimately, everything that exists in this world has a divine source. With There's water in this world. There's the divine source of water. What does the water mean in the divine? Of course, there's no comparison. You talk about divine water and you talk about physical water. When you talk about physical light and all the properties of light, but ultimately it originates from the spiritual, divine light. Of course, there's no comparison between divine light and physical light with all the exaltedness of light. this the most exalted thing that we have. But nevertheless, it's a reflection because it originates. The content of water and the content of light, and its shape, its definition, its properties, everything about it. The reason why it has all these properties—it's just a reflection, a parable of a divine truth, of a divine reality. So the differentiation, just like we have a differentiation in this world, in the yud and the hay and the vav and the hay, and just like there's a difference between in the speech. And the speech comes from the breath. And then you have the five, how you break down the breath into five different families. All of that is just a symptom of a spiritual divine truth. So in the divine, you also have all these differentiations. Whatever it means in the divine. You have to abstract it. You have to remove it from the physical. But the truth, the kernel of truth is there. There is a kernel of truth that's expressed in this just like the seed you look at a seed the seed has a DNA If you put, plant this seed into the ground from this seed will grow this luscious tree but when you look at the seed what do you see? I just see a seed a physical, small, tiny, bitter seed but within the seed is imprinted all that potential but you don't see it. You just see something physical. But it contains something much... It expresses and contains something, something much more powerful. So everything in this world is really just a, an expression of something much deeper. And that's the way a Jew understands this world. When you see snow in this world, what does snow represent? In the divine. When you see a storm... What does a storm represent in the divine? What does an earthquake represent? What does a volcano represent? What does earth represent? What does mountains represent? What does a flower represent? Everything in this world is really just a parable for something divine, for something spiritual. And you have, but you have to strip away the material, the physical, to be able to understand and to appreciate the inner content, what the divine... the divine what it means in the divine. And that's why we study Torah in this world. And in the afterlife, after studying Torah for 120 years, when the soul in the afterlife, the soul in the Garden of Eden, it no longer does mitzvah, but it studies Torah all <laughs> day. Suddenly the Torah comes alive, because everything that you learned in this physical world, you learned about an ox goring another ox. Or you learned about a landlord-tenant dispute. Something physical. You learned about agriculture. You learned about uh, the animal. You learned the laws of Shabbos about plowing and sowing and reaping and harvesting. And All of a sudden, the soul learns what it means on a spiritual level. When you strip away all the external, what does it mean in life? What does it mean in real life? What does plowing mean? In personal life, what does sowing mean? Suddenly, it's like the Torah becomes infinite. You know, everything in the Torah was just a parable. And that's why in the parable, every detail is accurate. Because it's, it's a direct reflection of the spiritual. Just like the cartoon, the two-dimensional, is, is a... Is a is a reflection, is a projection of a three-dimensional reality. But you don't see the three-dimensional, all you see is the two-dimensions. But then when you go to its source, suddenly you see a three-dimensional reality. Now you understand every detail that you've seen on paper. It's like you, like you read a map. The map is very accurate. But you're just reading the map. But then suddenly when you go to the mountain, oh, this is what this meant. And this is what this dot represented. And this is what this line represented. And this is what suddenly every detail in the map, in this accurate map, comes to life. So the Torah that we learn and we gather in this world, and that's why every day of Torah is so important, every bit of Torah that we study is important. Because when the soul comes after 120 years, if you didn't study Torah, if you missed studying Torah, you missed one detail you can't understand the picture you can't understand the whole picture every moment that you have the opportunity to study Torah every another bit of Torah that you have the opportunity to learn and to study this will help you you, after 120 years now you'll be able to your soul will open up soul's mind opens up and now you're able to see what it means and there's infinite levels says King Solomon the wisest man that ever lived, was able to teach 3,000 parables. What does that mean? That King Solomon had a collection of parables? <laughs> his brain was so big, he was able to remember 3,000 parables, just like you have, you have comedians who have 3,000 jokes in, in their pocket. That King Solomon was so brilliant that he had 3,000 parables in his pocket. He can always... I mean, no, no. The Torah means something much deeper than that. The Torah means that everything in the Torah... He was able to strip away the external and understand the seed, understand what's really going on, understand the spiritual level. What does this mean in life? He was able to take every law in the Torah, every mitzvah in the Torah. You talk about the priest, you talk about the eight clothes of the priest, you talk about, you know, to us it sounds like very dry laws, very mechanical laws. What does it have to do with me? What does it have to do with my life? I'm not a priest, I'm not in the temple. And so much of the Torah, you're reading about things that seem not relevant to you. The laws of purity and impurity, not relevant today. And yet the truth is, everything in the Torah is relevant. It's so relevant and so profound and so powerful. It hits home because it's talking about life. But King Solomon had that ability. King Solomon had the ability to strip away. It's just a parable and to see what the Torah is talking about. And to relate it to your life. Everything in the Torah, and when you strip away one level, just like you're able to strip away from the material and understand it on the spiritual level, there's a deeper level. There's a second level, then there's a third level, and then there's even a deeper level. And he was able to go three thousand steps. He was able to take every step in the Torah and like to un- to remove the layers. Okay, let's like the Russian doll. Okay, it goes deeper, and even deeper, and even deeper. now we understand what the soul is doing in heaven for for hundreds and thousands of years you can imagine learning Torah like that where everything that you studied in this world in the Torah suddenly comes alive in the most dazzling in the most powerful in the most relevant sense now you understand why this detail is important and what this means and what it really means and what this is really all about it's like it's you know it's enough to keep the soul occupied for thousands of years because you go from one level like king solomon three thousand steps and that's all just spiritual understanding the torah in the spiritual sense imagine understanding the torah from a divine sense how everything originates in the divine and what it means in the divine but the truth is it's all contained just like in that seed it's all contained in that seed But if the seed is left on the table, nothing happens. But when you plant the seed in the earth, then the seed takes root and the seed grows. It's when a Jew studies Torah. Because the Jew is called the earth that Hashem desired. So when you take the seed of Torah and you plant it in the earth, when a Jew studies Torah, and a Jew does a mitzvah, suddenly... It takes root and from this seed it gives birth to this tree that keeps on growing and growing and growing. The soul of 120 years keeps on learning and studying and growing from one level to the next level. And it's enough to keep the soul stimulated until Moshiach comes. The soul doesn't get bored up there. <laughs> because it's so deep, it's so profound. We only have the most external, simple physical practical sense of the Torah but in this practical physical sense of the Torah all this infinite depth is contained the 3,000 steps 3,000 parables one deeper than the next one layer even deeper than the next and that's just spiritual and then you reach the divine everything originates in the divine all the details of this world everything all originates in the divine so the fact that in the physical speech we have speeches made up of five different families, the breath that goes through the mouth and the tongue and the different combinations, and you have five different families of letters. Where does this all originate? It all originates from the Divine. So we know that in the, in the Divine you also have this, whatever it means in the Divine. Of course, it's not physical. There's no mouth and there's no breath. But this idea, whatever breath means in the Divine, whatever letters and words mean in the, in the Divine, we have five categories. So you have a hey. It's very precise. You have a hey. Letters and words and communication originate, start with hey. And then he says, he adds moreover.
3: Moreover, there is yet another reason why this analogy is apt. Notwithstanding the fact that Hashem has no corporeal form. For God's speech as well consists as it were of 22 letters that separate into five articulations that produce the divine speech from which all, all beings are, were created. For a discussion of these letters and their significance, see the Kuti Amari.
2: It's much more than that. It's not only the fact that we see in this physical world that speech is comprised of He, the Ha, the breath, which all the letters have that breath. And then it's divided into, A, into five different through the five different movements you have the five different categories of letters whether the tongue goes against the uh, gums or it goes against the palate of the mouth or the, or the teeth coming together, the lips coming together, the throat whatever he says on the contrary where do we have all of these different where do we have all this reality in this physical world where does it come from? It originates in the divine. It's because there are letters in the divine, that's why we have all these differentiations in this world. Because as he explained in Tanya, in the second part, everything is made up of the divine, but the divine is undifferentiated. What differentiates one from the other? It's the letters and words. Just like the letters and words contain an idea. So when the teacher has an idea... In the teacher's mind, the idea is one brilliant flash. It's one point. It's one. But when the teacher has to communicate this idea to his students, the teacher has to bring it down into words, into parables, into letters, into words. Suddenly, this one idea becomes a book, a course, a 10 year (laughs) course. What the teacher had, one concept, by the time he has to break it down and explain it to, to simple minds, suddenly it's, 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 it's a sea, an ocean of words and letters. It really all contains one concept. But the concept is too brilliant and too dazzling for the student to grasp it. So it's only when the teacher communicates his concepts into words, is able to bring it down into words and letters and parables and in the world and the language and the mind of the student, suddenly it it grows exponentially. It it becomes a whole ocean of words and letters and ink and paper. So all of this world is created by the Divine, by the Divine Letters. And it's only the Divine Letters. The Divine Letters contain, just like when we speak, it contains our emotions, we're expressing what we feel, we're expressing what we think, what we understand. So the Divine Letters contain the inner, the Divine Sfirot, the Divine Personality, so to speak. But it's only when they are contained within words and letters that suddenly suddenly we have, God creates this pluralistic world, this world which is so differentiated. So everything in this world is really just an expression of the divine. It originates in the divine. It's only because that the divine is made up of all these, the breakdown of the letters, that we have this multifaceted world. Multiplicity. And the different letters and the different combinations of the letters, and that's why we have this almost infinite variety of being. And that's really the miracle of existence just like in the human language if you think about it there are only 22 letters the Hebrew language is 22 letters that's the original language that's the holy language so uh, all languages more or less 22 letters all the books that ever written every bit of wisdom every bit of knowledge every bit of philosophy 22 letters How many musical notes are there? Every song that was ever created. This infinite variety of songs all comes from these few notes. It's it's mind boggling. From something so limited, you have something so infinite. Because everything originates from Hashem, Hashem is infinite. But if the infinite were to be revealed, there would be no world. It would be everyone, Everything would be one. Everything would be one. It would be completely nullified within Hashem. In order to have a multiplicity, in order to have a differentiated world that feels separate and every, in every individual creature is defined and separate and has its own properties and its own unique character, that's why Hashem spoke. Hashem contained His light within the vessel of speech and letters that breaks it down. And allows for this, and the different combination of the letters allows for this multiplicity of existence and being. And so it's because Hashem has this differentiation, the He, that's why we have the He. It's not that, you know, we have, we look at our reality and we understand, okay, Hashem also has it. On the contrary, it originates from Hashem. The reason we have it is because Hashem has it. We're looking at it backwards. It's not that if it exists in this world, Hashem also has it. On the contrary, because Hashem has it, that's why it exists in this world. But we don't see it. The only way we can know is from, we have to look backwards. If we see something in this world, so we can deduct the only reason it must be in this world is because this is the way, this is the truth in the origin, in the divine. Because it exists in the divine, that's why it exists in this world. So whenever the Torah brings a parable of a king and a... And a it tries to explain something of Hashem, it brings a parable of a king and a servants or whatever. It doesn't mean, well, because it exists in this world this way, therefore it has to be in the divine, it also works that way. On the contrary, because we see it in this world... Everything that happens in this world originates in Hashem. And so it's only because this is the way it is by Hashem that's why we find the same reality in this world. But we don't know. We can't see the Divine. So by looking at this world, looking at the symptom, we can understand what's going on beneath. Today is Yud Kislev, is the Chagagula, the day of redemption of the Mittler Rebbe, the son of the Alter Rebbe, the Rebbe Actually, this was the day that the Alter Rebbe finished saying the Tanya. Alter Rebbe said the Tanya for four years, starting on Erev Rosh when the birthday of the Tzemach uh, Tzedek. And for the next four years, Alter Rebbe said the Tanya. And he finished it, concluded chapter 53, the first part of Tanya, on Yud Kisli. Like four years later. Four years and... and um, and two months and ten days later, on Yud Kislev. This is actually a story of the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, that the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe was once, was once washing for a meal with his, he was eating, having dinner with his brother, his younger brother, and his younger brother got very excited. He said that the scientist just discovered that there's a vein in the head, and when a person is trying to remember something, Right? When you're trying to remember, what do you do? You lift up your head. Why do you lift up your head when you try to remember? When you're trying to think very deeply, you, 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 know, you bend down, and you're thinking very, very intensely. He says, well, there's a vein. He says, so when you are trying to remember, you pick up your head so the vein could move towards the memory, the part of the brain where memory comes from, which is in the back of your head. The, when, you, when you want to go very deep so you, you bend your head down so the vein moves towards that part of the brain where you think very intensely and very deeply about things. He's very excited. Rabbi Rashad was in the middle of washing so he couldn't speak. So he says, wait. Finished washing, sat down at the table, made a blessing and then he walked away, brought down a Hasidic discourse written by the middle of that, where he describes this vein this was a hundred years prior to that it was a big breakthrough scientific breakthrough the scientists discovered um, you know in the beginning of the 20th century and he showed them that, uh, don't, don't get so excited the, our great grandfather already wrote about this a hundred years ago so the younger brother's reaction was, wow, I didn't know. Our great-grandfather, our great-grandfather in the middle of was a great professor. Such a great scientist. <laughs> <laughs> he knew about this 100 years before, before science ever discovered it. And he says, no. He says he wasn't a great professor. But he saw things in the divine. So he understood whatever is in the divine must be, must be in this world also. Everything in the divine is expressed in this world so since he saw it in the divine he understood that the same is true and every person has to have this this one we can't see in the divine we can only we're physical we're flesh and blood we're physical so we only this is our reality the material physical reality that's all we see and that's all that registers with us so we have to look at this world and by understanding that everything in this world is a parable so we understand that the same if it's true in this world it must also be true in the divine, But the truth is, it's the exact opposite. It originates in the divine. And because it is in the divine, that's why it also projects, also in the physical. Everything in the physical is just a projection of the divine. There is nothing else but God. That's the deepest meaning, there is nothing else but God. Because everything in this world is just a projection of the, the divine. Everything, every detail. Every characteristic trait, every detail, everything expresses another aspect of the divine. And because within the divine, what do you mean expressing another aspect in the divine? God is infinite, God is undefined, God is undifferentiated. What do you mean another aspect in the divine? The answer is that's the letters of Hashem. Hashem speaks, that's the ability Hashem has to speak and speech through letters. And the letters differentiate. The letters they have many letters and different combinations of letters. You get different words and different meanings. It depends how you combine the letters. So because Hashem has within himself the ability to speak and the ability of letters. So that that convey the content, the divine content in word many, many words and many letters, that's why you get different aspects of the divine. Because the words and letters break down the single idea, the single concept, and break it down into many, many world, uh, words and many, many letters. A multiplicity of words and letters. And as a result, we also have, in this world, a multiplicity of beings and existences and cases and circumstances. And each one of them has its own unique characteristic and, 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 and traits and, and the properties, which all of them reflect another aspect of the divine. And they help us better understand the divine. This is the way a Jew looks at this world. Obviously, if you look look with these types of glasses, you see a different world. You don't see a corrupt, coarse, crass world. If you realize that everything in this world is really a parable for Hashem, then you find Hashem in everything. When you look at water, water reminds you of a certain divine aspect you look at a mountain a mountain reminds you of a certain divine aspect everything in this world reminds you of a certain divine aspect we can learn from everything in the world you can even learn something positive from a lawyer <laughs> what's the positive what's the positive thing we can learn from a lawyer a lawyer's job is to not only defend his client, but to highlight all the positive aspects of his client. Even the client can be guilty as... <laughs> and yet he has to paint a different... he has to find something good to say about his client. And paint the picture, bring out all the good with him. And that's what the Torah says, you always judge a person favorably. Always see another person in a positive light. Sometimes it's very difficult. Sometimes yeah, you gotta dig very deep. I have nothing positive to say about the brother person. <laughs> you know, there was a person at a funeral, someone died, and, and no one could say anything positive about the person. Everyone said he's the biggest crook, scoundrel, lowlife, bum that they've ever met in their life. So he said, Come on, say something good about the brother person. I said, Well, in comparison to his brother, he was a saint. <laughs> <You know? laughs> you know? But... there's something positive that we learn from everything in this world every trade everything in this world represents something positive something divine something and when you look at the world that way you you see a different world so that's what he says so yes of course we're speaking about physical but where did this physical come from It comes from the Divine, from the letters of the Divine, which are differentiated. And these letters are the vessels that contain this light. So the hay, which breaks down the breath, breaks down the simple breath, which all the letters have in common. But breaks it down to differentiate one letter from another letter, and then the different combinations of the letters, which creates different meanings and different words, and suddenly you get a multiplicity of words and definitions and meanings. And where did this all come from? It comes from the divine speech. So the divine speech is expressed in the hey. Because it's the breaking down and the differentiation of the simple breath into he, starting with he, five. Families, categories of sounds, and then more specifically, twenty-two sounds, because each family itself there's a difference in the aleph and the ches and the hay and the ayin. There's a difference in the bays and the vav and the mem and the pei. Even though you all share in common that it's all by pressing your lips together, but it's how you do it that you um, that creates the different sounds. So this all originates within the divine. Okay, so till now we discussed. How the letter Yudke Vavke, the actual letters Yudkei Vavke, contain, express and contain the Divine, the Ten Sephirot. That's why the letter Yudke Vavke, Hashem's personal name, is holy. Because the letters contain holiness. They contain the holiness of the Divine Sephirot, of the Divine emanations. Since the Jewish soul, now he's going to explain it. Since the Jewish soul is made up as a piece of Hashem. Chelek, Hashem That his nation is a chelek, is a piece of Hashem, meaning a piece of Hashem's name. We have Hashem's name within our soul. Our soul is comprised of Hashem's name. Yud K Now he's going to exp- explain specifically how do we find, where do we see that in the Jewish soul you have the Yud, of Hashem's name in the Jewish soul you have the Hey of Hashem's name in the Jewish soul you have the Vav of Hashem's name and you also have the last name of Hashem's name we
1: just (laughs) see that all the ten Sephirot are included and represented within the Tetragrammat the altar Rebbe now goes on to explain that likewise within the sound which is part of the Tetragrammat tongue there exists Ten corresponding levels of faculties. Analogy exactly the same applies to the soul of man, again keeping in mind the infinite separation between the Creator and the created soul. Since the soul derived from the internal aspect of godliness, the Tetragamaton, which comprises the ten sephirot, the soul likewise comprise the following characteristic just as the letter U lack length and breadth is but a simple point so too is Ochma a faculty that lacks intellectual length and breadth merely, possessing the potential of the being revealed and thereby understanding and considering true existence and greatness in each person, according to his measure, according to the breadth of his intellect and understanding, while the degree of one comprehension of godliness depends on the breadth on one's intellect, the Jews' essential ability to find God true. Being and greatness securely integrated in his mind stems from his soul's attribute of alluded to the letter Yud.
2: First we begin with the letter Yud. The letter Yud represents the initial state of wisdom. Which actually begins not in the conscious mind, but in the subconscious mind. That is really the beginning of wisdom. The conscious wisdom, the consciousness, is almost the end result, the end product. More goes on unconscious, unselfconscious, in the subconscious and goes on in the conscious. When you are wrestling and struggling and chewing on an idea that doesn't make sense to you and you're trying very hard to make sense and you confuse and confounded and, and suddenly a bolt of lightning, a flash of understanding, a, a ray of light, a glimpse, a glimmer, a sense, a feeling, uh, it makes sense. I don't know how, I don't know what, I can't explain it, I can't articulate it, I can't even explain it to myself. Where did that come from? I don't know. But while you were, you couldn't eat and you couldn't sleep and you were disturbed and something is and you're agitated and you're all. Your subconscious is working on the problem, and without even your knowledge. But because you're making yourself into a vessel, into a vehicle, because you're clearing your mind, because you're so, confused and confounded, and you're open to receive, and suddenly, you get an IM, instant communication. From your subconscious. So the beginning of wisdom, wisdom as it is, is hidden and concealed. Even the flash is just a flash, a dot, a point, just a point of light, a potential for understanding. But that potential, that flash really begins, originates on a much deeper level. And that's why he says... possessing the potential of being revealed and thereby understanding and conceiving usually if you learn Tanya till now we all know first comes Chachma first comes conceiving then comes Bina and understanding here he says understanding and then conceiving how does understanding come before conceiving? conceiving is the first step the flash the original thought, the creative spark Understanding before conceiving. Because here he's talking about understanding that connects the subconscious to the conscious. The communication from the subconscious to the conscious is a revelation. It's like the subconscious is coming down into an understanding. And that leads to conceiving. On a conscious level, suddenly you get a flash. You get a spark. You get a a sense. But that's really the subconscious coming down into a level of understanding so it can communicate to a lower level to the conscious, for the subconscious to communicate and to make contact with the conscious it's it's the equivalent of the level of understanding that comes after conceiving once you conceive an idea then you bring it down into words, into letters that you can grasp so too, once the subconscious understands something The subconscious then then communicates it and brings it down into the level of consciousness, into the level of conceiving. So this is the flash. This is the spark. This is the hidden wisdom. So every Jewish soul has this hidden wisdom. Some are more intelligent than others. But every Jewish soul has this essential ability to find God's true being and greatness and that's why he says to understand and to conceive of God's truth because that's the nature of wisdom the nature of wisdom that's the difference between wisdom and understanding the difference between the creative genius and the analytical the right brain the left brain
1: two different, two different people, two
2: different, they're looking for two different things. The Chacham, the wise one, is looking for the truth. He is looking for the truth. You know, something has to stir in his soul, he's looking for that stirring of the soul. He's looking for that flash of consciousness. He's looking for that communication from the subconscious. He he has the window to heaven. He's looking for that heavenly truth, for that revelation, which comes unexpected and takes you by surprise. And when it hits you, you jump up. Because it hits home. It's real, it's genuine. He's looking for that experience, that genuine experience. You can have a question, a brilliant question, and someone can give you a brilliant answer. But it's not truth. It doesn't resonate. It doesn't ring a bell. It's a nice idea, but it has nothing to do with the issue at hand. It doesn't answer the question. And then, you hear an answer, and it hits home. It's like a good teacher. A good teacher doesn't just answer the superficial question because many times the student himself doesn't know what's bothering him just something is bothering him it doesn't sit right it doesn't make sense it doesn't sit right so you can give him technically you can overwhelm him with your brilliance and give him an answer he has nothing to say but you look at his face he doesn't it doesn't you know he's not going to argue with you he can't argue with you he's not in a position to argue with you but he didn't answer the question It's nice, but something is still bothering you. I can't put my finger in it. I can't explain it. I can't articulate it. But something doesn't sit right. It doesn't, I'm missing something. And suddenly a good teacher zeroes in on what's really bothering, not what the student is asking, what he's saying, what he's not saying. And he gives an answer, and the student like jumps up. He says, Yes. Exactly. It's exactly what I mean. You hit it on the nail. And we have to be that same student, for ourselves. Our teacher is our subconscious, and we are that student. We have to open ourselves up. And what we're looking for is something that will hit it on the nail, something that really gets to the core of the issue, to the essence of the issue, really gets it, dead center. It resonates. You respond. That's em. That's what you're looking for. The brilliant person is just looking for many explanations, brilliant explanations, many explanations, and overwhelm you with his brilliance and keep you for hours and hours. But at the end of the day, it's nice, it's brilliant, but it doesn't resonate, it doesn't ring a bell, it doesn't hit home, it doesn't. It's a lot of information, a lot of interesting information, but it just doesn't do it for you. It's not Emmis, that's not his search. His search, the analytical mind, searches to expand and to analyze and articulate and to broaden the concept and comprehensive and thousands of details. But the wise one keeps, has to keep the brilliant one honest. The wise one, the wisdom, you know, you're going too far from the point. A lot of interesting information, but you're going away from the point. You're losing that truth. You're losing that light. You're losing that connection. You're losing that... It doesn't resonate anymore. It doesn't... uh, you're You're just... It's a lot of noise, but no light. The Chacham is looking for that light, for that experience. The creative genius is looking for that creative moment, for that truth, for that revelation, for that window to heaven, for that connection, for that communique, for that stirring, that unexpected that comes out of left field and uh, it wows you that's MS that's the quality of MS there's a certain genuineness that's why most creative geniuses are not commercial successes because they're too honest (laughs) they they have a human defect that they're honest people they they don't care about they just care about (laughs) they just care about the truth someone appreciates it, no one appreciates it who cares, I I just have to convey the truth, whether it's the artist the painting or the music, whatever he doesn't care about anything external, he wants to have that inner experience, it's real or it's not real that's the nature of Chachm the nature of wisdom is emmas. it's a rare quality that's Chachm every Jew has a Yud Every Jew has integrated into his mind, from a great mind, a small mind, but he has integrated into his soul. And not only his conscious, even a subconscious. He has integrated, especially a subconscious, he has integrated into his soul, this hidden wisdom, this ability to zero in on Hashem's truth, and Hashem's greatness. It resonates with the Jewish soul true soul responds to it seeks it out seeks Hashem's genuineness and we get inspired and excited by Hashem's genuineness we realize how genuine Hashem is and how real Hashem is it moves us to tears we get excited, we respond, we're inspired we're in awe by it so that's the Yud, the Yud is that hidden ability to be Emmas, to be truthful to see the truth of Hashem the reality of Hashem so every Jew has it deeply ingrained with him.
0: That's the Yud. As a man deepens his intelligence, as he broadens his mind and comprehension to contemplate God's greatness, his now developed understanding, of the faculty of Bina, is alluded to by the letter he that has breadth, indicating the breadth of his understanding. The he also has length to indicate downward extension so that, from his understanding and contemplation of God's greatness, he arouses love and fear and their offspring, i.e. the other emotive attributes, which are termed the offspring or branches of love and fear in his mind and in the recesses of his heart. At this early stage in the generation of the spiritual emotions of love and fear and so on, they are not yet manifest.
2: Then comes the hay, The hey is we have the ability to broaden this flash, this idea, this sense that every Jew has ingrained within them. this sense of Hashem's truthfulness and Hashem's greatness. But it's just a flash. It's just a sense. You have to broaden it. You have to deepen it. You have to get into it. It has to engage your mind. You know, the sense is not enough. The sense is, is the beginning. But then you have to take this sense and you have to expand it and broaden it till it engages your full mind and your full intellect that you can articulate the understanding of Hashem's greatness. You can understand it and explain it to yourself. And... And this also has a length. The hay not only has the width, the breadth, it also has a length, the two sides. And the length also shows on that this emotion actually gives birth. It gives birth to love and awe. It does have an offspring. But it's a love and awe the way it's still contained within the mind a certain movement that you make internally, you know, I ought to love this, it's good it's not a full-fledged emotion it's not a fully born child full-fledged emotion you don't feel anything in your heart but you feel a movement, a tendency a leaning in your mind, you know "I, I should like Godliness, I ought to like Godliness, it's good I ought to be attracted to godliness. This is what I ought to love. So that decision, that judgment, that decision, that's like the love way it's still contained in the mother's womb. It's in potential form. It's not intellect. Pure intellect is understanding. This is already the re- conclusion, the result of the intellect and the conclusion that you reached as a result of this intellect is that I ought to feel attracted towards this I ought to love this and to be pulled towards this and go in this direction so, so it does have some effect the hay is not only in the width but also in the length that it has some effect that it does give birth conceives at least the beginning of this uh, offspring the first stage of development of the offspring the first stage of emotion the first level of emotion, still contained within the intellect. It's more of an intellectual emotion. It's a cold emotion. It's not a heartfelt, your heart is on fire, flaming. Your heart doesn't feel anything yet. But in your mind, there's the birth of an emotion. There's the beginning of an emotion. There's a, a direction of a movement, a, a decision that's made that I should be pulled in this direction. I should be attracted to godly things. I should be attracted to holiness and to divine things as a result of your understanding. So this can only come about as a result of Bina. Because Chachm is like the father. The father just gives the seed. The mother takes the seed and develops it. But the mother is still carrying the child. But even even when the mother is carrying the child, the child is fully formed in the mother. So you get a full-fledged child. It's the first stage of birth. The, the child hasn't been born yet. Mm-hmm. But that you still see the form of the child. It's separate from the mother. But the mother contains the child. So it's only as a result of the intellect that you can give birth. You can conceive of a child. You can conceive of an emotion. And that's the first stage of an emotion. How do you, you get to, to a full-fledged emotion? You can't start with a full-fledged emotion. I love, I'm, an, I'm flame. I'm a, my heart is a flame. First, you have to start with an understanding and a deep understanding. Chachma is not enough. Chachma is too abstract. It's too, it's, it's a flash. It's 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 too. It's not enough. You have to develop this idea and articulate it until in the full width and breadth. And then that can lead to an emotion. That can lead to an actual decision. A pull. Or a decision. I want this. And I ought to want this. And I ought to go in this direction. And you can become pregnant with an emotion. You can become pregnant with an emotion if all you have is Chachm. It's too, it's too deep. It's too profound. It's too abstract. It's too remote. Just like in the seed. The seed alone, you can't do anything. It's like you need a seed and a womb. And exactly. So Chachm and is the seed. And exactly. And the womb, that's the mother. And you need time. Chachmah is a flash. You get it. it, it, it it's a sense.
1: Yeah, it's timeless.
2: But, but, right. But then to develop it, to, to, to this, that takes time. You have to develop it and you have to understand it and you have to find the language and you have to get into it and you have to really grasp it and you have to internalize it. And that could lead, then you can get pregnant. That's the beginning, the first stage of giving birth to a child, to an offspring, to a result, an emotion.
3: Until ultimately they find overt expression in his heart.
2: From the pregnancy then comes the birth. Once you begin, once you have the hidden emotion, the emotion the way it's contained within the mind, cold emotion, that can give birth to a genuine emotion. But we're not we're talking about real emotions, emotions that are lasting, emotions that are sustaining. We're not talking about empty, superficial emotions fleeting feelings that don't mean anything. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about a real solid emotion. A real solid emotion has to be based on understanding. If there's no awareness. If there's no real awareness, you can't really build a real emotion. But once you have awareness, then you can become pregnant with an emotion. It's still in a state of pregnancy. It's still concealed. It's more intellect than emotion. But, it's the beginnings of the emotion, and then you give birth to a full-fledged emotion, and the emotion has a life of its own, just like the child has a life of its own. The children surpass their parents many times. Some the emotion is sometimes much more powerful than the intellect that they gave birth to the emotion. It's a force in itself, it's a power in itself. Strong emotions, strong feelings are, are mighty, are very powerful. So this is all the hay. The yud and the hay. The downward
3: progression of intellect into the realm of emotions is thus indicated by a vertical length of the letter He.
2: So you see, the Hay is connected. It starts with the, the line on top, and that leads to the line downwards. The line downwards represents emotions. So it's from the intellect that gives birth to the emotions. That's all, that's all <coughs> the Hay.
3: These spiritual emotions lead to the true service of Hashem. In Torah study and mitzvah observance, with voice and speech, or with deed, true divine service is that which is motivated by the love and awe of Hashem, as explained in Part 1, Chapter 4. This is the import of the final letters, Vav and He, of the four-letter name, Habayah. For for Vav alludes to voice and speech, while He alludes to action.
2: He says, and He and Vav are the expressions (coughs) of this understanding and these emotions, which is to lead a, a godly life, a Jewish life, by studying Torah, the divine Torah, Hashem's Torah, and doing His mitzvot. That's the Vav. The Vav is the voice, the voice of Torah, and the He is the action of mitzvot. Okay, so the obvious question is, in, the, in, the, in Hashem, we said that Yud is the intellect, is the creative, supernal wisdom. He is the intellect, understanding. Vav are the emotions. The six emotions going downward. And he is communication. Here, when it comes in the analogy in the soul, He says Yud is creative, you know, the spark of wisdom. Hey is the intellect plus the emotions. And Vav is Torah and He is mitzvah. It doesn't seem like it's not a match. It's not an analogy. And then he continues and adds another explanation why. Last, the end of this chapter is going to explain that the Yud okay we'll leave the end of the chapter and this question we'll leave for next time it's a very obvious question it's like you know it doesn't fit the analogy so we just have a few minutes left we'll just open now for questions and answers
0: so the, uh, the phrase uh, Reshit we say in the morning Yidrat Hashem in love and fear yeah. of their offspring the other
2: right so Yidrat Hashem realizing that everything has a spark of Hashem that's the ultimate wisdom knowing that everything in this world is a spark of Hashem that's the uh, but also the highest level the Yud actually Chachma represents the highest level which is awe the higher level of awe we're completely egoless completely unselfconscious which is even greater than love because love is self-expression right. even the most refined love the most spiritual love is all about I but Chachmah is about complete self-nullification. There is no I. All there is is God. The truth is, chachma is about truth. It's a sense for truth. It's a recognition of truth. And the ultimate truth is nothing exists but God. (laughs) So a Jew has a recognition of that truth. We sense that truth in everything. That ultimately, all there is is Hashem. That's why every Jew will always say, Baruch Hashem, thank you Hashem. Because the simplest Jew has that truth ingrained in them, that fear of God, that awe of God, that reality, that awareness of God? That ultimately, the bottom line is, there is nothing but God. So anything that happens in my life, anything that anything, ultimately, it all comes from Hashem.
0: A fear has negative connotations. Anyway.
2: Yes, but like anything else, we can't translate Hebrew into English into any language because we have a whole different concept. To us, it says Hashem Fear of God it gives life. Fear has negative connotations in the English language. But in the Hebrew, the word yirah is more like awe, presence.
0: Well, I guess fear in a way, I mean, in a way, fear is positive. I mean, if you see a hot stove and you're afraid to touch it, that's a good thing.
2: Yeah, but you do not it can paralyze you. You don't want to live your life and fear God is going to strike and lightning is going to mm-hmm. strike, God is going to punish. That's not fear. Fear is, imagine you're standing next to Einstein. Mm-hmm. <sighs> you feel like a little bug. Not because he's going to hurt you. He's going to punch you in the face. Because when you're standing it's in the presence day. of greatness, you're like, it puts you in place. When you're standing in the presence of Hashem, it makes you real. puts you in place. Yeah. It's a sense of reality. That's the idea of Yira. The greatest praise you can give a Jew is, he's a Yira shemayim. He has fear of Hashem. That's what the Yamukah, Yarmulke is Yarde Melokai, he's afraid of Hashem. That's why we wear the Yarmulke. So, the idea of fear is, Dr. Rebbe says, we learned in chapter earlier, the first part of Tanya, that if you're alone in the room, we behave a certain way. If someone is watching us, there's a stranger in the room, mm-hmm. you our best behavior. <laughs> we straighten up, you know, someone is watching and when we're alone, are we really alone? Hashem is watching. Mm-hmm. So what does it mean when we behave and completely oblivious to Hashem? It means Hashem is no reality for us. That a stranger, a shemendrik, a nobody, is more real to us than Hashem. So for all that we profess, that we're, you know, we're observant, and whom are we kidding? Mm-hmm. The reality is that a nobody is more real to us than Hashem. Because when a nobody's in the room, somebody's watching, you behave, that's behavior. Somebody's looking. When you're alone in the room, even though Hashem is right here, Hashem is present, it means nothing. You don't give it a thought, it doesn't stop us, doesn't change our behavior one iota. What does it mean? There's no Yidash Shemayim, there's no sense of awe, there's no sense of presence, there's no sense of reality of Hashem. The king was standing right next to you the greatest person in the world is standing right next to you 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 would be shaking, You you would at least be in awe, you would behave yourself and here Hashem the king of kings, creator of heaven and earth Hashem himself is standing not only is standing he's looking into my heart and he cares and he begs and pleads with me please, I need you because without you I'm not a king if you don't listen to me I'm not a king, you demoted me I could only be king because you want me to be your king. So imagine Hashem is standing right next to us, looking into our eyes and our hearts and pleading with us that I need you. And it means nothing to us. It carries no weight. <laughs> has no effect on us. That's why King David says, Reish is khachma, the beginning of all wisdom. is Hashem. want to know wisdom? Real wisdom. That's the ultimate wisdom. Yidus Hashem to feel Hashem's presence if you live with that reality 24-7 it's a different life it's a real life it's a rewarding life it's a life without shame a life without life, a wholesome life great life good, life good life good materially good spiritually good psychologically good mm-hmm. on all levels this is wisdom that's real wisdom and every Jew has innately we have that sense we just have that sense of wisdom sensing godliness sensing Hashem the reality of Hashem the truth of Hashem that it's real it's not an abstraction it's not something otherworldly it's real Hashem is real (laughs) and it's right here in front of me right here and now Mm -hmm. on the Upper East Side 2011 right here with me all the time if we would live with this sense this world would be a paradise America would not be bankrupt life would be a paradise when we forget this truth we create our own misery this is the beginning of all wisdom the wisest thing the healthiest thing the best thing that could never happen to us. And it's so attainable, it's right here. You don't have to spend a trillion dollars to get it. <laughs> you don't need a government program. <laughs> you, don't need, you don't need any bailouts. You just just got to wake up, smell the coffee, and realize that Hashem, it's real. So, happy, Yud, happy Yud Kislev. youth yeah. Kislev. it's a holiday of redemption. So we should all be redeemed more our inner and spiritual and material things that we need to be redeemed from. And uh, Tarev finished the Tanya, first part of the Tanya today, um, over 200 years ago, so hopefully by next week Tarev himself mm-hmm. will conclude chapter 4 and we'll hear the real meaning. <laughs> this class is part of
0: the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.